You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am pleased to be joined today with Christina Dennis. How are you doing, Christina? Very well. Good morning, Damon. How about you? Good morning. Happy Monday, Christina. Can you believe it? I always say it. It is episode 85, Monday, March 14th, 2022. Beautiful, beautiful. Monday, fun day, right? We got to rebrand Monday. 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 As Stacey Danford always says, shout out to Stacey Danford, one of the Recovered Life contributors. Monday is her favorite day of the week because you get a do-over every Monday. That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. I feel that way too. So anyway, I am very excited about showing you the next episode. We have a wonderful guest coming forward. And we want to, before we get there, though, say a shout out to our Recovered Life contributors and listeners like you. You can get our show on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Make sure that you support us and like, share, and follow, as well as we have a new place for people to help us help others at inforecoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. So... It's on the ticker, but also check it out. It'll have all kinds of information. Absolutely. And for those of you guys that are listening on the podcast, we appreciate you guys listening on Stitcher. A lot of people have been listening on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Apple. Thanks so much. Uh, You know, we would not be able to do this if it was not for all of the people who support the show. So thank you so much. Uh, We do have a really great show for you today. Uh, But before we go into that, Christina, how was your weekend? What was it good? It was good. It was very, very good. Beautiful down here in Southern California. I don't want to brag for people that are still in frigid weather, but it was beautiful. Lots of lots of really good discussions this weekend. And, you know, I always spend time with my son on the weekends, which makes it a lot of fun for me. Yeah, Yeah, it was it was a good one. We had um, you know, I, I did some gardening, which I always love. That's my sport kind of, which I started. but man, I woke up today and I was like, I could tell that it was the whole winter thing, man, because it was like, <laughs> I was sore. My back hurt. It was like the alarm went off. We had to do the show and get ready for it. I was like, the alarm went off way early it and did. I was like, oh my goodness. It did. Well, we all sprang forward this Saturday. And, uh, you know, I was uh, surprised that I had slept so much Saturday night. But we can give ourselves a little bit of grace because technically this is still 7, <laughs> 7.15 instead of Ab- 8. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? We have a great show. We're going to dive right into it. Two really amazing segments today. Uh, the first one, it, it just I love it. And we've got a really amazing guest on, Audrey yes. Holst who's the founder of Fortitude and Flow, uh, a process which fuses movement and mindfulness to create sustainable action. And I have to tell you why I love this is the whole topic of the segment, Christina, is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. We had Audrey last week on one of our Recovered Life discussions for Clubhouse and people asked for her to come back and they asked for some of the information that she was so kind to share with us. So I'm very, very excited. And perfectionism, I think, is something that is run rampant in the recovered role, right? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's on every list. You know, the perfectionism drives some of our drinking, certainly drives our thinking after we past that line and move into recovery or sobriety. And I think that it's her view on it is really, really 
beautiful. Well, I can't wait to have her on. Let's bring her on to let's let's bring her into the recovered uh, life lounge here. And uh, how you doing, uh, Audrey? How you how's it going? Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I was hiking in snow this week, this past weekend. Oh. So I'm in a different, uh, <laughs> different place in the country than you are, but uh, it was still a beautiful weekend. So we're good here. here we are. I'm sunbathing and you're, oh no, so sorry, but it sounds like you had a beautiful time. You know, last week when I was able to meet you and listen to you, you had such a beautiful viewpoint on perfectionism. And I'm wondering if you could go into a little bit of it, because a lot of times in the recovery world, we, depending on which program you come through, if you come through a program, we look at character defects and perfectionism is on top of every single list. I mean, I really have not met somebody in the recovery world. And I want to start with that question. And then I want to talk about the different types of perfectionism, if you would, and perhaps finish with a mindful exercise. But uh, start with that, Audrey. Yeah. So uh, when I talk about perfectionism, I talk it at, talk about it as a it's a wired survival mechanism in our mm -hmm. systems. So my background is in yoga and movement, mindfulness, meditation. That's what I've done for the last more than 16 years. I've been doing wow. that. So my perspective is always from a physical, uh, a physical perspective. So one of the things that is very common in perfectionism is trying to wrangle things with our minds. It's it, it mm -hmm. trying to figure it out, right? There's this very strong desire to figure it out. If I could figure it out, if I could understand it more, um, then I'll be able to you know, conquer it, wrestle it to the ground, right? There's a lot of metaphors that people will use. Uh, but it's one of those things that when I talk to a lot of perfectionists, they know all of the things, right? They have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of understanding. They even have understanding of history, but they have this inability to create different action or to do things differently. And so that's where a lot of this embodied uh, connection starts to come in and really create some sustainable change. So you're saying it starts in the body in many ways. The solution starts in the body, right? And yes. and we don't look at it that way. We look at it as a thinking problem. It's something to overcome. I love the way that you describe that. One thing that I learned from you, and I think that our viewers will be very interested, is you know I always had this idea that if you looked at my desk, there's no way I'm a perfectionist. And you shared some very interesting archetypes about perfectionism. And if you have a minute to share them, I think it would be amazing for people to see themselves because there's probably people out there just like me saying, oh, no way I could be a perfectionist. Look at my desk. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that is a really common misconception about perfectionism is that there's one particular way it looks. And that's the kind of uh, traditional or classic perfectionist where everything is in a row and everything is aligned and everything has its place and everything looks and feels and is perfect. And I've had so many conversations with people who, who kind of joke about it. You know, people will call themselves literally recovering perfectionists mm -hmm. in that context. Right. And they'll say, you know, I never really thought of myself as a perfectionist because I couldn't do perfectionism perfectly enough, right? So there's different ways it shows up. And, you know, depending on people's, we talk about uh, 
changing perfectionism through the body, but perfectionism was actually born in the body, right? It was, it came mm-hmm. through us. It's, it's in our systems. A lot of us, it is hereditary. It's something that we've, that is kind of comes through in our genes. It comes through, through conditioning, right? Through how we are raised or our experiences we've had in our lives or things that have been reinforced. So there are perfectionists, like we can talk about the, um, the optics perfectionist, this is a perfectionist that tends to put on a very particular front. So this is somebody who visually, you know, how they show up, how they look, how they dress, how they take care of themselves, their workout routines. Uh, they have a very specific facade that they are presenting to the world, which can be a very particular kind of perfectionism. The strengths of that is that these people often throw great parties and look amazing and have a really strong value around aesthetics and and taking care of that part of their lives and in other people's lives also. But it can also be very isolating because people don't actually get a chance to see the real them because they're always putting up a particular, you know, particular front. So depending on how you relate to perfectionism, where it shows up in your life, it may not be a blanket overview in, in every aspect. Mm, that is really interesting. I think that I relate to that one, but I remember when you talked about all of them, I related to every single one of them. It's yeah, um, it's something that we find in the recovery world a lot, and the the dissidents. This is uh, I can't say the word right this minute, but the the difference between what we're trying to portray and what's happening on the inside is is one of the things that would keep me you know, using and abusing substances and then codependent behaviors were all over that. And so I love the idea that you're sharing that it comes from not only in our genes, because we know about epigenetics, we know what stress does, we know what trauma does, but it's also part of our environment. What is another type archetype? Um, another, another archetype. And I also want to, want to mention too, the, um, you know, I did a, a series of interviews with the perfectionism interviews where I had over yes. 60 hours, right? 60 hours of conversations with perfectionists. And there were some common pieces. And one of the big pieces, the one that you just mentioned was that piece of, uh, when I was asking people to share their stories, it was like, okay, what are people seeing on the outside versus what are you experiencing on the inside? And so often there was, there was that conflict of how I felt was a completely different story than what other people were seeing. So there is this, this lack of understanding of what a person's inner world may be versus what they're showing to the outside world. So I just want to you know validate that for sure. Uh, one of the other, um, the hero perfectionist is a really classic example of perfectionism. And that's the person who, that's the sort of classic over-functioner, right? That's the person who is going to sweep in and save and has it all handled. And it it's all, you know, it's fine all the time. And I got it and I got it and I got it. Um, meanwhile, uh, one of the descriptions that a client gave was, uh, I'm basically, I, I feel like a tractor trailer that's got like 15 trailers behind me. And as long as I'm on a straight path, things are fine. But if I have to swerve to avoid something in the road, then it's absolute chaos. So, uh, you know, that's another way that people may be, may be experiencing how, how things are. Audrey, Audrey, I have a quick question for you here about this perfectionism thing. And I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on this. Sure. So I love you're talking about the inside and outside of perfectionism. So, you know, I find as being somebody who's a perfectionist myself, I find a a lot of the times the inside dialogue will be way different than what people see, right? Like, so I might say, wow, I just didn't get enough done this week. And, you know, I've had friends say, you did more this week than I did in a year, right? <laughs> like th- this illusion that we really can't see that, where where does that come from? And how do you, 
How do you fix that if you're a perf- if somebody's listening to this and is a totally perf- a total perfectionist? How do you how do you kind of start doing a different inner dialogue? Totally, and I, I love that. There, there's this right. There's this impossible standards, and that's another thing that that came up a lot is when I was talking about people's history because this is the other thing, right? Very often with perfectionism, it's not like somebody just decided that you know at age thirty, you know what. I've never tried that perfectionism thing. I'm going to give that a go. (laughs) You know, this is thing, this is kind of a theme that's in some way has weaved its way through a lot of our lives. And that seemed, again, was a consistency that I found when I was asking people to tell their stories. So having these impossible standards, that's one of those things that people, you know, it's not, I'm not going to do this at 80%. I'm going to do this at 110%. And even then I'm going to feel unsatisfied with that 110%, right? I could have done better. It could have been more. Um, And also uh, the, the perfectionist two-step is to see it and fix it, right? So people who are listening are going to be like, well, I want to fix this, right? I want to get, I want to get this handled right now. Like give me the answer. So that's one of the things with perfectionism is it takes these tiny, small and doable experimental steps. Cause you're actually like, I'm talking about the body piece, right? You're actually starting to reorient your body's orientation, right? You're starting to change the orientation in your body and how your nervous system is wired, what your body considers essentially a threat and what your body considers, oh, this is actually normal. This is okay. So a lot of the stuff that we start with is starting to notice uh, notice uh, an experiment with things like you're talking about, okay, well, uh, for some people, they may start to take actions that are 80% of like their best. And right. they start to be like, okay, what if this is like I think, I think it was actually, Christina, maybe you were talking about Michelle talking about like the B plus work, right? Yes. Yes. It's such and, a great concept. And people start to, to not do the A plus plus work in every aspect of their lives, but maybe they try a little bit of B plus work in certain areas where it feels a little bit less risky. And the, the effect, the internal feeling, and even the words that people will use will be like, I didn't die, right? I <laughs> tried something different and I didn't die. And actually I saved some energy and I feel slightly different different. So these are the things that start to integrate in the system right. as, as slight changes. You did hear that, Damon, right? I did. But you know, you, know, it's you, funny. you did the classic two-step I, right on. I, I did. Christina <laughs> knows that I'm a, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And you know, here's a funny thing that I noticed, even though it will bug me, like I'm a ruminator, you know, Audrey, like we just met, but I'm just, I'm a ruminator. So mm-hmm. I, I, I will maybe do the B plus work, but then later I was like, I could have done that better. Why didn't I think of this? Why did this whole thing about perfectionism? I, and I gotta, I have to ask you about this because perfectionism and addiction, those two things are married. A lot of people, it's like a sense of control, right? Like I don't have control over things, so I have to assert control. Um, what what's with the deal with control and perfectionism? Is is there an element of control in there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's some sort of control, and and you know, it, it, even when we're we're taking actions that we don't necessarily want to do, there's still an you know there's still an aspect of control. And I think that one of the things that you were talking about, right, that rumination, that's a very common thing. Again, this is a head a head centered thing, right? The thinking and the paying attention to the thoughts, which is why a lot of the, um, a lot of the work that I do starts to orient people to different aspects of themselves as a human being beyond their thoughts, right? The physicality of their bodies, the sensations of interacting with the physical world, what it's like to be them as a physical human moving through the world, because we're so used to wrangling stuff with our heads that we forget that there's this entire world that communicates actually from the bottom up also, 
in our body. So when we start to have influence and understanding of what happens from the neck down, right, we're very oriented towards like, if I change everything in my brain, then that affects the rest of my body. Well, it actually works in the opposite direction. Right. Also, if you start to influence what's happening in your body, that also communicates upstairs. So this is one of the reasons that I, I, um, started to understand things differently is I was one of those people that tried to wrangle my thoughts. I was terrible at it. And the worse I was at it, the worse I felt about myself. Cause I was like, well, there's gotta right. be something wrong with me that I can't wrangle my thoughts perfectly. Right. right. So that's where I started to take a different approach and from this body centered background and start to, to do things that way, as opposed to just trying to wrangle them mentally. You know, Audrey, I know you work with a lot of professionals and, and high stress individuals. Is that how you start them, you know, with the orientation? Because we have discussed you and I prior to about the nervous system. Yes. And if your nervous system is in alarm, there is no access to your prefrontal cortex. There's no ability. And through my work with autism, I discovered that this made a huge different uh, difference with my son and then started to use those same techniques for me. And yes. so I'm curious because how do you tell, I know you work with a lot of attorneys, <laughs> how do you start that conversation and how can we start that conversation with ourselves? Yeah, a lot of it is just an understanding and an education of, of how we think about our, our bodies, right? How we think about how we're built as human beings, because there, like I said, there's this lot of, of perception of if I can only understand it or think it differently, then I can change the whole system. But we have to understand that, that we are wired in a way that often we don't have conscious influence in the beginning. Things are firing mm -hmm. in our system because our body wants to be efficient, right? Our mm -hmm. body wants to be efficient to save energy, to save calories, to, to do things in the most uh, easy way. So there's always an anticipation of what it thinks is going to happen next. So it, it wants to stay in those groups. It wants to do those groups. So in the beginning, jumping out of those groups feels weird, feels awkward, feels wrong. And that's the other thing I want to point out is in the beginning, when we start to make these changes, when we start to change our orientation, our actions in different ways it's going to feel uncomfortable. It may even feel like, it, it, is this right? I, this kind of feels awkward. It maybe feels wrong. That's normal in the beginning, just because it so-called feels wrong. Mm -hmm. It's different than what you're used to. So things are starting to shift differently. So a lot of in the beginning is just starting to get people to see and experience themselves in a different way. I love this, the thinking thing, uh, Audrey. I got you because this whole thing about this, I if I could only outthink it, this is so... This is so tied in to people who have addiction personality because they think, well, if only I could get past this, if only I could do this, if only I could do that, then I'm going to be, I can outthink this. Even when the data is there, it's like, you can't outthink it. You've done the best that you can. Now you have to let it go. Like, how do you tell people, I mean, what's the solution here with letting go? I mean, is it as easy perfectionism to drop as just to say, hey, don't be a perfectionist anymore? <laughs> If yeah, if it was that easy, everybody'd be doing it, right? Like that's the <laughs> that's the that's the deal. Yeah, no, it it what it what it requires is is creating new history, right? We all have this this history in our bodies, in our minds, in our memories, in our perceptions of what has happened in the past and what we anticipate will happen in the future, right? That's one of the things that happens with perfectionism a lot is this prediction of what is going to go wrong and how do I keep it from going wrong in the future, right? How am I going to stop that from happening? Well, often it's avoiding. I'm just going to avoid it. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to go near it. Or yeah. I'm going to uh, just have 
anxious. I'll just be anxious about it the entire time and worry about the entire time. And that feels productive, right? My anxiety feels productive. Like that's the right thing to be doing. So it is just as small and tiny things. And one of the, the things we talked about, Christine and I talked about was just this doing these exercises where we jump out of, we get out of the, the head and the thinking and we start to orient to our physical environment, which is how we're built. We're built to be oriented to our physical environment. We're built to be oriented to our physical selves. We're built to be oriented to the social network, right? Our social nervous system and being connected with other people. This is actually how we are built. So starting to, to uh, those muscles that have gotten atrophied from perfectionism because perfectionism isolates, it tells us these lies about who we are and what we have to do, starting to tap back into how, like, how we are actually built as human beings and starting to try some different techniques makes a huge difference. But you do feel awkward, right? In the beginning, it feels awkward. Because you're literally, that's the whole thing, right? You're literally rewiring all of these hormones that are used to firing in a certain way or all of a sudden like, what? what's going on? Right. This is, this is not what we do. This is not efficient, right? We've got this, this <laughs> highway we've been using this whole time. And so when you have orientation towards, you know, even certain things we call like victim mindset or feeling guilty, right? We have an orientation towards that because we're used to it. So right. getting away from those things takes, takes practice. Well, that is amazing. I, I want to really quickly talk about the hero and the the tie between codependency, because when you brought that up, I think a lot of our people will see that, wow, that is, I never labeled it as perfectionism. You know, I labeled it as saving someone. I, I labeled it as, you know, keeping control over people. I labeled it, you know, in many different ways. But if somebody's feeling like a hero, <laughs> it really means, you know, in codependency, we really learn that we're telling other people we know how to do it better than you. Right. You know, and right. we're we're really actually trying to control them so that we feel safe. Have you right. found that to be true with the heroes that identify under perfectionism? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting when I'll be kind of listening to somebody, you know, telling their story about this thing that happened. And I'm, it's always, you know, it's so interesting. It's very easy to see from the outside, right? But it's very difficult to to recognize that from the inside sometimes. And and a lot of that too. I will talk about the physical practices of being forward in other people's worlds and really being oriented to other people's worlds versus sitting back and being oriented to our own bodies and our own nervous systems and just noticing that these two things are interacting with each other. Um, you know, one of the, one of the phrases that, that I'll talk about with one particular client, right? Everybody, we kind of have our ways of speaking about things. It's like, you don't have to be kumbaya with everybody. You know, like it doesn't have to be a kumbaya with everybody. That That's just naturally, you know, that's just not gonna happen. So how do you be in yourself in relationship to somebody else that you may or not be kumbaya with? And how do you feel that distinction, right? How do you stay in yourself in relationship to another person? Because again, consent, has this person consented you to be all up in their business? <laughs> I don't know, not sure, Gener maybe you generally. Not. Generally well, not. <laughs> generally not. I haven't really, maybe your child, but <laughs> no, most of the time, no, even them. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. How can people find you, Audrey? Yeah. I so we, as I say, I know we have, we have a link on recovered life uh, info mm -hmm. at recoveredlife.us, but how can they find you outside of that? 
Yeah, so my website, fortitudeandflow.com, if you want to learn more about these perfectionist archetypes, if you go to fortitudeandflow.com slash perfectionist, you can, you can check that out. It's a free guide. You can check out all the different archetypes. And I talk about the fortitude and flow process, a step that you can take to start yeah. to create some change for your particular archetype. So that's the best way for people to, to uh, connect with me. And I'm on LinkedIn also. You know, I'm all up on there and I'm always posting articles on perfectionism and all the most recent studies, which is always so interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Audrey. I, I know I've learned a lot about perfectionism <laughs> myself because I could be a bit of a perfectionist. I talk with Christina about that all the time. Thanks so much for 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 joining us on the Recovered Life Show today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Everybody, please go to info.recoveredlife.us. We have a full little bio there on Audrey and you can access her on our website. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thank you. Bye, Audrey. That was awesome. Oh, that was really great. That was a really great interview. So simple too. Such a simple start, you know, and I think that the whole idea of getting back into your body and using mindfulness to see where you end and somebody else begins or just figuring out that you don't want your thinking to just go into that old groove and take you down that road. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You know, because I think so many people, uh, Christina suffer from perfectionism in recovery. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, I think that a lot of people too, it's not, it's, they don't go into recovery as perfectionists, but once they get sober and they have this realization, it's like, you know what? I got to get my stuff together. Right. I gotta, you know what I mean? I gotta get like, I gotta get going here. What, what happens is a lot of times it's like, they feel there's no air at all allowed or allowed, you know, and that's, that's really, I think, unrealistic. Very black and white thinking. And that's the thing that we learn once you've been in recovery for a little while, or, you know, at the beginning you have somebody saying, Hey, there's no way to do this. Perfect. There is absolutely no way. And I understand the fear that drives perfectionism. And that's why we talk about trauma so much and trying to heal the trauma in, if you have a substance abuse disorder or you're a codependent, there's something that's narrating it. And she confirmed it with the fact that it's in your body and your mind. It's in yes, your thinking. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think the thing is, is that when we're talking about, I, you know, I love about when we're also talking about control, sobriety, <laughs> perfection, it's like, it's all one big spaghetti mess. And, right. you know, that's why I got to tell you, you know, I just got to, I, I got to give a little shout out to this. You know, Christina and I put together this thing called Can't Say No. It's a free three-day challenge. So if anybody's listening to this and they're feeling overwhelmed, they're the always the, the constant uh, volunteer. You're the person that's always bringing the brownies uh, to the soccer match for the kids. You're the person in your family that's the go-to person to solve it. You might want to check out this free three-day challenge uh, called Can't Say No because what it does is it is a primer. I'm going to call it, Christina, you created this primer to uh, for people to start setting boundaries in their own life. So can't say no, guys. Check it out. It is 100% free, and you can get it at info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. You can just look, click on the Can't Say No uh, logo there. It'll bring you right to the free course. So definitely, people have to check that out. An amazing episode uh, segment from uh, Audrey uh, Holst today on perfectionism. There's also a link there uh, in the in info.recoveredlife.us uh, as well. 
and you could check that out. So really good segment coming up, Christina. Yes, it totally is. And I can't wait till we get into that article and talk a little bit more about the surprise that the pandemic has brought us <laughs> in the Another world of recovery. Another surprise. Another <laughs> surprise. One. Here we go. It's like the pandemic brings us surprise after surprise. So guys, hold on just a few seconds. After the break, we're going to be back and we've got an another amazing segment. Hold tight. We'll be back in one minute. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. That's very exciting. <laughs> I love it. I love that teaser. Don't I you do. love it? I do. I love it so much. It's very exciting. Um, before we get into the episode, though, Damon, I want to remind people that it's being brought to you by contributors, Recovered Life contributors, and viewers like you. So one way to support us is to like, follow, and share on all of the platforms, not only YouTube, Facebook, but all of the uh, wonderful platforms for our podcast. And another way is to visit our website at info.recoveredlife.us, info.recoveredlife.us. And you can make a donation. You can check out the programs that we have there. It's all one very simple entry. Check us out. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. Listen, this is a free market here, guys. This is a free market. You buy and support what you like. And if you like the show, you know, give us a couple boxes. This, if this is your go-to recovery play, uh, driving to work or in the morning, you know, uh, you know, on the, uh, you know, doing the dishes or walking around listening to the podcast. If you want to give us a couple bucks to help support the episode, we would appreciate it. So, Christina, moving in, we've got a, uh, we've got even more show for you today, guys. If you're listening, and I love this one. This was so great. Um, I found this article and it was from the Daily Mail about it was really about this person's journey in uh, being six months. What was it? Six years sober, six years sober. So she was pre pandemic. But the article really, really described some of the people that we've talked about previously. And it described like the serious problem that's happened in the pandemic. Now, it's out of UK from the Daily Mail. And what it shares is something that I thought was really striking, um, according to the figures over there, that there are 8 million people who are drinking at hazardous levels in the three months uh, from October 21st until uh, uh, October 19th, compared to 5 million. So it's gone up by 3 million. And they're saying that's all over, not just England. It's all over the UK. And so her article is really, really timely because it discusses exactly, you know, even though it's still dangerous, more dangerous for men than women, women are closing the gaps. So four out of 10 are presumed to be dangerous drinkers, where it used to be one out of 10 for women, and it's now growing closer to the male the male figure. So it's something for all of us to think about. Um, her take yes. is beautiful though. Don't you think it is, you know, I, I mean, what I pulled out of this, you know, uh, was the whole thing about, and I've, for those of you guys that are watching on the live stream, uh, I, I've got it here. Obviously I brought it up on stream. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm just showing this article from the daily mail. Um, and basically, uh, what I really got out of this was how she broke it down into situations right? about being sober. And I like that. And one of the things that she said was trying to fit into a drinker's world about this 
uh, oh, well, I have to drink a non-alcoholic faux wine beverage right. or a, right. a non-alcoholic drink. And I have to pretend I have to do this about how much energy goes out at trying to fit into a drinker's world when you're not a drinker anymore. So true. I mean, first of all, she doesn't describe any kind of bottom. I don't see where she calls herself an alcoholic, but she said I was drinking way, way too much. I didn't know the number because I didn't want to know the number. And yeah. so if you're out there, you don't need to label yourself if you want to try this drinking experience or non-drinking experiment. But she then goes on to say that even after so many years, there's still an effort to want to fit in. And it was very interesting how she talked about the two questions that people asked her. The first one was, how much do you drink? Because they obviously wanted to compare themselves. And I have experienced this over the years. I'm sure you have too, where it's like, well, wait, what happened? You know. And the second one was, how do you survive in a world without alcohol? And yes. you know, we're here to share that you can survive in a world without alcohol very, very well. I mean, she talks about those gifts. Anybody who's in recovery that's listening to this, uh, who's been sober for any period of time, there's a couple of things that definitely are going to happen. And, you know, when people that are new to recovery say, you know, tell me some things that are definitely going to happen in the future. And I said, you know, the people who struggle with alcohol or controlled drinking, yes, that's in your friend or family sphere, right? If they're in your world, if they're in your orbit, they're going to be the most vocal about you being in recovery. They're going to ask the most questions. And, you know, one of the things that I think if you've, if you've been sober for a while, somebody will pull you over in a party and say, listen, I'm concerned about Bob. I'm concerned about Sue. Right. Uh, I think they're drinking too much. And then they'll go into how much they're drinking. Right. Well, they had this, but they didn't. And, you know, and my response always, Christina, to this is it's not the amount that you drink. It's what happens when you drink. Yes. Right. Because yes. I know alcoholics that could maybe that are alcoholics that could have two to three drinks a night, but they were alcoholics. But it's what happened to them when they drank. Right. Right. And and the need to drink too, the inability to uh, face what's happening in your life, the go to that. This is what's going to help you survive. You know, we did a show recently about the health implications and how much more dangerous they are than most people realize. And if you're drinking, you need to. I mean, they they were talking about more than one drink a week for some of the health implications that we were yeah. talking about. And so it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting our worldview on our right to drink. But if you're having a problem, and and yes, you can have a problem with just two to three glasses of wine a night, um, and. It, and the, the payoff is worth experimenting. The payoff is worth, we talked about it in dry January, we've talked about gray area drinking. And I just love that there's more articles coming out about this yeah. because well, people this don't is from, know. This is from Anna Purr's glove, if anyone wants to look it up, it's uh, from the Daily Mail. I, you know, and, and again, we're talking about trying to fit into a drinker's world, Christina. And, and you know, this is the thing that's interesting about the whole vernacular of, uh, uh, and you know, we went over, it's funny, some of the stuff she has leave early, early nothing bad will happen. Right. And right. I remember we did a shout out to Stacey Danford and Brian O'Shea. We did holiday rescue, which was an e-course for people struggling with the holidays. And this was one of the big things fears that people Huge. had was, oh my gosh, if I go to the party, if I come, I used to come early and stay late. 
And I Absolutely. was the last one out. And now they're like, I don't want to do this. Like, I feel no. uncomfortable. No, no. And and having a plan, I love that she brings up nothing bad will happen because so much of us, and I was definitely this person, thought, well, the party revolved around me. I had to stay. Well, nobody wanted sloppy, drunk Christina after a couple of hours. And so nothing happens at a party after nine or 10 o'clock that you have to be there and see, you know, nothing really happens. And so I love that. And having a plan, right? Having a plan walking in, not making it a huge deal that you don't drink. Um, we talked all about that in Holiday Rescue. And I can tell you, I was a food and beverage director in a hotel, which is when they say beverage, they mean alcoholic beverages. And I was able to attend conferences, attend different kind of seminars, attend and be in the business of it. And no one looked twice, you know, after well, they first yeah, it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. It's like, you know, a lot of the what's going on is in our head, right? Like, it's not actually what's really going on. It's mm -hmm. like, I used to go to this 12-step uh, meeting in Burbank. And the, the topic, it was a men's meeting. The topic every week is what's really going on. Because... What's really going on in the outside world and what's really going on with you is something totally different. Like you, so different. you have to meet people where they're at. And I will tell you, like in early recovery, the thought that everybody knows that I'm sober, that I'm struggling, that I'm going right. These thoughts that we go and people don't know this. And the whole thing about, um, you know, just the, hey, I'm not drinking. Just say, hey, when somebody offers you a drink, just to say, no, no, thank you. You know, mm -hmm. the amount of drama we know from being recovery coaches, Christina, the amount of calls and drama that we will get about regarding going to, somebody yeah. just asking a guest, asking somebody who's in recovery, would you like a drink? And them saying, being able to say, no, thank you. Right. Bring on five days of thinking about it. So, so true. And it's very hard for, it was very hard for me to realize that the world was not watching what I was doing. <laughs> and that people who aren't alcoholics or don't have problems drinking are not very concerned if I order a Diet Coke or a club soda. Um, they don't care. <laughs> and the people who do care were people like me. And so we cannot be responsible for their reaction, but we also don't have to tell an entire story when somebody asks us that. You know? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the things that she brings up here, and I'm just going to read it, uh, it says, uh, you know, the whole thing about being comfortable in your, in your sober skin. Right. And it talks mm -hmm. also about don't underestimate boredom, uh, as, as a trigger, right. About just the whole thing about being bored. Now I never really, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be blunt guys. I, I heard this early in recovery. Boredom's going to take you out. Boredom's going to take you out. I didn't really get that because I was somebody who always felt like I was somebody that always had things in my mind that I could do. Right. I was always right. doing things, but boredom is a huge thing and boredom does take people out. Well, I'll tell you, I found parties pretty boring after I quit drinking in some ways. You know, I, I realized very quickly why I was at that party. It wasn't necessarily to meet people. And I had to learn how to do that without you know, alcohol in my system. I had to learn how to be comfortable in my own skin. And I would say I'm a lot less bored in sobriety than I ever was pre-sobriety. You know, right. that was when I was really bored because I couldn't do anything. <laughs> and yeah. now the world's open. I can go yeah. anywhere. It doesn't matter what they're doing. 
Well, that's the whole thing. It's like this whole thing about should I be there or should I not be there? And I think this is the thing, especially people are listening to this in early sobriety. There, This is the whole thing. Should I go to the business party? Should I not go? Should I go to these friends? You know, the whole thing, one of the things that's so dramatic about recovery, honestly, and it's unlike any other allergy. If all of a sudden you decided that you were gluten intolerant, right? You you wouldn't have to shed friends off for it. No, you just say, sorry, I couldn't eat that. Right. And they'd make accommodations or you'd make accommodations. It wouldn't be that big deal. Life would go on. But with, but with alcohol and drug recovery, I find that, you know, it, it is a friend separator. A lot of times there are people that are going to leave. And I think one of the things that I got from this article that I really liked that Anna Persglove kind of addresses here is that, Hey, your life's going to change a lot. And it the is. things that used to be used to be okay for you, uh, and we talk about codependency a lot and things like that. These relationships that used to be okay are these one-sided relationships or drinking only relationships, which everybody Correct. has if they come in as yes. an alcoholic. They're no longer okay for you anymore, and it's okay to just let go of those. It is, it is, but you will gain so much. You know, the loss in the beginning feels really, really big, but the gain, you know, you don't have to be 25 years sober to automatically start seeing some gains. There will be amazing gifts for being willing to walk through this and live a life of sobriety. Yes, it is. And, you know, I think if anybody's listening to this, this Anna Persglove article from uh, the Daily Mail is a really good example that people can and do get sober and they stay sober and they live full lives. You know, she's talking about going to parties, doing things, having relationships, living a, you're, you're full out in recovery. And that's what recovered life is all about guys. Uh, This has been an amazing uh, episode, Christina. This is really great. I love the whole segment that we did on perfectionism. Yes. And our our guest. Audrey was amazing. And I have to tell everybody, guys, if you if you want to find out more about Recovered Life, uh, we have a huge thriving community at recoveredlife.us. And it's a private community where you don't have to worry about is your boss going to come in and he's not right. sober and you are and sees you on Facebook interacting. It's none of that. It's just a private community of people just like you. And I also want to let everybody know that that Clubhouse We've got a huge clubhouse roster of uh, what we call Recovered Life Discussions. And these are where we take the uh, things that we talk about on the show and we dial in and you have a conversation with us. And that happens Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Right after we do the show here live, we're on Clubhouse having a discussion with you. So join us there and you can find us at Clubhouse at uh, the recovered life. You just put that in the recovered life. You can join and be notified of all the future discussions that we've got coming up. Yes. Come and be part of recovered life community. I mean, it is growing and it is such a place of support and information. And those discussions are worth you dialing in, download the app, download the app, get it recoveredlife.us episode 85 in the can, Christina. Absolutely. We're going to see everybody back Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific. We'll see you there for another live show. Have a great uh, Monday, guys. And we'll talk to you Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.